Okay, everybody, welcome back to Who's Your Band? I am uh, joined by my co-host, as always, Mr. Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? Wonderful, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm very good. Uh, no, it is. I, I want to get to this. I want to get to our guest because I'm excited for this guy, okay? Because he was part of the David Lee Roth band, Mr. Big, Winery Dogs, Sons of Apollo. He is Buffalo's favorite son. Give it up. <laughs> For the incredibly talented Mr. Billy Sheehan. You're very the, kind. You're too kind. Uh, <laughs> Gotta live up to that now. Yeah. <laughs> Buffalo, huh? I love Buffalo. Yeah, originally from Buffalo. I left there. Summer of 85. So in the summer it was only snowing about 32 inches there, right? Yeah. Actually, we got some snow here in Nashville, so we're very unusual for us. Yeah. About every to this degree, it happened about every 20 years, I understand. But then Buffalo, I remember being a kid and pushing snow with my chest to get to school. Oh, Billy, I remember one time for an old job, I had to go to Buffalo for a week. And I went to, I parked my car at the hotel. It was 53 degrees. It was beautiful. I woke up the next morning to 16 inches of snow yeah. under my car. It happens often. I, I used to, have, me and Jeff are both comics and I have a, a, an ongoing joke that I do about cities that I work in all the time that I hate and Buffalo is one of them. And I, <laughs> and I always say how Buffalo is like one of the worst places in the world. I said, but it's one of the, it's next to one of the greatest places in Niagara Falls. I said, but if you notice, there's only one little thin wire that goes around the entire falls that prevents you from falling in. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's scary. I've been so I say it's, it's like God was telling the city of Buffalo, look, I'm not telling you to kill yourself, but I'm not going to make it hard for you either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say if you don't like the weather in Buffalo, just wait a minute. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> It'll change. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, when I, when I left, I grew up there, of course, in the 60s and 70s, playing constantly, late 60s, into the 70s, and then into the 80s. And it was an amazing music town. We had a, it was a great entertainment town. Buffalo was actually a super important city before the Erie Canal because mm -hmm. everything had to go through Buffalo to get past the falls that you sure. mentioned to get to the St. Lawrence Seaway to Europe from all the Great Lakes. So it was, uh, when they made the Erie Canal, they decided to, to have it uh, uh, end at where New York City is. I don't think it was called New York City at the time. It might have still been New Amsterdam. I don't know. No, no, it was New York City. It was New oh, York it was? City. Okay. Yeah, so, New York, New, it, it actually opened up commerce for yeah. New York City to, op to open up things to the Midwest. Exactly right. Yeah, so New York City boomed as a result of that. But Buffalo was a, an important place. Uh, there was a little punk club down by the Niagara River. This seems to be a recurring theme here, called McVans. And it used to be a supper club in, in its glory days. And I was a you know, graffitied punk club. But I got I just got photos recently of Hendrix playing there back in the day before it was a punk club. And also uh and before he was uh the Jimmy Hendrix experience too. And also Sinatra and Tony Bennett, everybody sang there. It was a pretty, pretty an amazing entertainment town. Yeah, there's a great rock strip club in Tonawanda called Alexander's. I think that was after my time. That was probably after my time. Yeah, I will say one thing about Buffalo that I do love is that whenever I would go up there, I would always be subjected to some amazing new rock music. And it was only when I went to Buffalo and I realized because they were getting a lot of Toronto radio stations coming through. Yeah, yeah the, would, there's a cross pollinization happens there for sure. It was amazing because I was, I was, I mean, there's probably five or six bands that like, uh, there's a band called Default that had like one big hit in, in the US, Yeah, but they played them constantly because they were a Canadian band and it opened up like a world of new music for me every time I would go up there. 
Yeah, we're close to Toronto, and Toronto is uh, really the the it was a great music city, and uh, we used to play there a lot back in the day. We go over the Peace Bridge and play all the Canadian cities, and it was always a always a riot. Uh, they they always sold beers that were like extra giant sized bottles, and it was. Mm-hmm. And had more alcohol in it too, That's so right. uh, we, that, that led to a lot of consequences. Unless you have one of your dumb friends, like I do, whenever we would go up to Canada, and we would always order like Labatt's or like you know a Molson, and it'd be like two and three dollars, and he would go, "Can I have a Coors Light?" And it'd be eight, <laughs> and he'd be eight, it'd be eight dollars, and you'd have no idea why. I'm like, because it's an import, you idiot. One <laughs> <laughs> in Rome, do as the Romans do. Exactly. Buffalo, Buffalo is still a great rock city i do uh i work up there i do a lot of clubs uh in buffalo and when you do rob's uh comedy playhouse um they promote it on the rock station and there's several rock stations up there yeah and, and so you know they you know the people come out they're they're, they're kind of like like all crowd showing you know, you know oh yeah you know, it's working it's working class town to the earth and the rock is you know it's very different than doing the city but um you know billy when i told people that you were coming on the show I, you know, like we were excited to have you. I mean, both Sean and I, huge music fans. Um, everyone's like, "Oh man, oh Billy Sheehan!" They were so excited. They're like, "Yo, this guy, he's the Eddie Van Halen of the bass." Why are you the Eddie Van Halen of, of the bass? Well, I don't know if I am, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we we both did a similar thing. The little the hammer on, it's called. Yeah, I I got it in 1974. I went to see ZZ Top open for Alice Cooper at the Buffalo War, Memor- War Memorial Auditorium, and uh, we're, we're we we knew the promoter, so we're sitting up close. And I was actually in the shadow of Billy Gibbons' hat because the lights were behind him. And I saw him, you know, take play the guitar and go and and bend a note and hit the fretboard with his hand. And we, we couldn't believe our eyes. So I went home and I started diddling around and that became my thing. Unknown to me, Ed had done the same and discovered it on his own completely. Of course, he, he was- What well, year was that about? Well, I found it in 74 and Van Halen's record came out in 78, I think. That's right. It's about first record. And they, and they, but they recorded it a couple of years earlier, at least the demos that they gave to Gene. Yeah, yeah I've got the Gene Simmons demos in my, my iTunes is a, a, is, a, is a very elaborate collection of a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I've got that stuff. But uh, now, yeah, so he's, uh, but but I, I, it's a great honor that anybody puts my name in the same sentence with his. He, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. It was a very sad day when we lost him. And, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, absolutely. I play with him. I recorded with him a bit, and uh, we, we was he was just a sweet, wonderful, great guy, and a grandmaster at his craft. Well, as as are you, um, very kind. So yeah. So um, how was it? You know, so you wind up playing. That's how I got to know you. You know, the first time I saw you was exposed to you was through the David Lee Roth band. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the first first time I see you, that first of all, an absolutely killer band. Eat them and smile. Great album. I, you know, the first time I ever saw a Yankee Rose video. Like all you guys, it looked like a, it was like a lot of fun. Um, how was how was first of all how was it working with Dave at that period? You know, was he super competitive? Was he like we got to blow Van Halen out of the water here? Well, uh, well, he was the biggest rock star in the world at that time. In 1984, Van Halen was king, and Dave was the king was the was the front man. So he was the biggest rock star. Uh, but no, he never consciously said we gotta we gotta go after those guys. He just wanted us to be, you know, encourage us to do the best we could. And I remember we listened to the Van Halen album, which came out I think before Eat Him and Smile did. And I was with Dave when we listened to it, 
And uh, I thought, eh, it was hard for me to get used to it, unfortunately, because I, for me, Van Halen was John, Paul, George, and Ringo. It was, you know, Dave, Michael, Alex, and Ed. So even though I was glad to be with them, I was still kind of sad to see Van Halen didn't exist in my favorite format anymore. Uh, but he was, um, we listened and it was, it was kind of hard. I love Sammy Hagar's voice on the first Montrose record, one of the greatest rock records ever made, I think. Just so great. But in Van Halen, it, 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 it may be just a psychological thing, but it just didn't work for me. So I remember we got finished and Dave was kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of disappointed. I thought, I thought we were going to have, you know, a tougher, you know, competition. Because admittedly, the album was a little bit more commercial and wasn't as raucous, which worked great for Van Allen because, right. because they actually ended up selling more records. But but he was never, you know, like, uh, we got to get those guys. He just wanted to have a, an awesome band. And I'm very honored that he chose me. And we found Steve and found Greg and put it together. But he's, he's still my hero, and I still love him. And uh, the, the, I, I got a PhD in showbiz from hanging out with him. Right. How did that whole band come together? I mean, I mean, it's a great band. Uh, you know, you mentioned Steve. We're talking Steve I. Okay, but I mean, did did you have to audition? Did he reach out? Was he like, get me the best musicians at their at their their craft? We 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 have to we have to like go over the top because that video, man is over the top. You guys are in, 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 in the costumes that you're wearing, you know, even the, like the, the little snippet at the beginning of Yankee Rose. And then, then all of a sudden, like, you know, and, you know that, that beginning with the guitar, you know, David, you know, we playing I mean, that whole thing is just like, what a fucking introduction to like David Lee Roth solo. And Billy Sheehan is part of that. And even you're kind of like mugging for the camera, even though I got to say, man, you're probably the coolest guy in the band that, you know, cause you, you just like, we're just like being you, you aren't too over the top, which I, which I kind of loved, but you know, <laughs> what, what was, what was that like? What was that tour? Like it has, Dave it was, had to be uh, out of his mind. It was a life changing experience. Uh, we, uh, again, thanks to Dave, he, uh, contacted me. I was about to go out to the West coast to start a tour, Talis and Ingve Malmsteen. And, uh, contacted me and I happened to be coming out. So we'll have a meeting when you come out. Okay, cool. And, uh, because, uh, he wanted me to be in his movie. I said, what? <laughs> but okay. So I went there and we had our, our day off to rest before our show, our tour began the next day. And they came to my hotel, picked me up, drove me out to Dave's house and went out there. Hey, how you doing? Nice to see you again, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, you know, there is a movie, but that's not why I wanted to talk to you. He, he said the movie so I wouldn't go spill the beans that he wanted to start a band because he knew that I knew. Oh, Ed. Right. You know, he was kind of and he told me straight out, I just quit Van Halen and I want to start a band. It's going to be his first call like for a recruitment in a band. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, he said, uh, let's find a guitar player and drummer and go do it. I said, I always said, I'd never leave Talos for any other band except for Van Halen. So when he asked, I said, close enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> How did you find Steve Vai? Well, I knew Steve. We were on the same label. And actually, we we're uh, beginning to talk a little bit about maybe doing something together. So Dave's original choice was Steve Stevens, who was a spectacular player. Oh, sure. Billy Idol. But he was, you know, kind of entrenched in Billy Idol and it probably wouldn't be a good idea to just drop that and jump into something else. So I told Dave, I know another Steve. I got another Steve for you. So I brought Steve by and of course he's 
was the perfect guy, sense of humor, a la Frank Zappa. I played with Frank for years and a brilliant player, wonderful guy, still one of my dearest friends in the world. And uh, so Dave said to us, all right, guys, go out and find me a drummer. So we went out and we auditioned. It's the only auditions that happened was for the drummer. We auditioned about 40 or 50 guys. And wow. uh, when Greg Bissonette walked in, before he even played, we knew he was the guy. We just... It's amazing how that kind of ESP happens. I looked at Steve and Steve looked at me and this is, and sure enough, Greg sat down, played amazingly. He sang, he's hilarious. He's a great guy. So again, still one of my favorite people in the world and a dear friend of mine to this day. So, and then, uh, we need a keyboard guy. So I, I uh, through Yamaha, I asked, you guys got any Yamaha keyboard uh, players? He goes, oh, Brett Tuggle. And Brett came in, Brett's brilliant players play with everybody. Uh, Fleetwood Mac with, uh, you name it. He's uh, just a, brilliant singer and keyboard player. So that was our band. And we, we uh, put the album together and uh, took off. Do you ever watch Steve Vai play and look at him and just go, I just, I hate you so much. That's how good you are. <laughs> no, it, no, no, no. We, uh, we, we're, we, we get along very well. We, we, well, actually the whole guitar battle that happened on stage between Steve and I, uh, the first three shows, it didn't happen. I go up and do my solo, yeah, and Steve do his solo, yeah, and then we get done with the show. About three shows in, Steve, uh, Dave took us aside. He goes, "You guys, that ain't working. It's just not entertaining enough, you know." Dave, being master, showed me we gotta. It's gotta be like a tractor pull. It's gotta be something exciting that people, you know. So we, he, you know, told us, you know, Steve, you go out there and start playing. Bill, you come up behind him, stop and push him aside. You do your thing. Then Steve, but then you chase each other on the stage, and and it turns out hilarious and yeah. been copied by by many other bands, oh, yeah. uh, to to say the least. But that was Dave's idea, and I, I thought this kind of exemplifies how hands-on he was and and how smart he was to put things together in that fashion. Were you guys starting to think about Mr. Big? While you were playing with David Lee Roth, oh, or did no. that come that come afterwards? That come, it came afterwards. Yeah, after skyscraper, uh, just we, we weren't all on the same page and it didn't work out. So I wished him well, went off, and I and I got together with Steve Stevens <laughs> at first. Really? We were going to do a thing, but uh, schedules didn't align, and then I I, I put uh, Mr. Big together. Yeah, and, so short and just brought up Mr. Big, and that was a band that I thought was on the road to superstardom. And it just, it just, one day you guys just aren't there anymore. It just, it just seemed to stop. So what happened with that? And then I also had a question is like, you guys also toured, I think, Mr. Big with Rush. So how is it like Billy Sheehan watching Getty Lee, your thoughts on him? So I have kind of two questions there. <laughs> I'll write these down. <laughs> well, no, uh, yeah, we did, um, Mr. Big did two tours with Rush and they were just the, the sweetest, nicest, generous people you could ever imagine. And they were so kind of, they get brought us up for the encore and we sang, you know, what's the song? Hey baby, it's a quarter to three in the mood. We sang and, uh, uh, I sang with Getty on the mic and, you know, it was, they, they were great. They were just fantastic. So that was a, just an all around uh, amazing experience. I remember that when we first were on tour, you know, we didn't want to get in their way and stuff, you know. So we uh, just kind of kept our distance. And they came in there and said, well, what's the matter? Are you guys mad at us? Why won't you come in to our dressing room? You, you mean we can? So 
That, then we found out that's where the lobster and shrimp were served. So we we went in every night and we started eating their food. But they were, they were just great people. Uh, How did their crowd was, uh, accept you? You know, uh, We did good. We did good. Uh, and the Rush guys told us that's the first time they've seen girls in the, in the first 10 rows in a, in a decade. So <laughs> we, got, we had To Be With You was a hit at that time. And right, right. We did really well with But Mr. Big, yeah, we did great. We did... Um, we had a hit with To Be With You, Just Take My Heart, a Green Tin to Sixties Mine, and also uh, a Wild, Wild World, World remake. Yeah. Uh, so we we uh, did great. And But the thing we did that was inadvertently wise was we played a lot of foreign markets. We played all over Europe and South America, Southeast Asia, Japan, Russia, everywhere. And so when the U.S. went soft, when Nirvana and Pearl Jam came out and the whole scene shifted, we were we could play all over the world and sell out places and pack places and still do well. So, uh, and it happened to a lot of bands They're They're, they're, they're still successful and still doing great, but you just don't hear about it on MTV. So sure. you think they don't exist, but we, uh, we went down to, uh, South America and play on Santos beach outside of Sao Paulo uh, in front of a hundred thousand people on the beach. The show was so big that the police left because they knew there was this a festival. Was this a yeah. festival? Is this a bit? Oh, the festival. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was we headlined? We were the headline, and uh, was Henry wow. Rollins? Uh, oh God, what was the other band? Henry Rollins. Some other band. I forgot. I'm sorry. The Scorpions. And, no, no, no. It was, a, it was a, <laughs> smaller, smaller. But we went out, and uh, so we're on stage as the show's ending, and we're seeing bonfires out on the. And it was, uh, was the military. Came and the army actually rolled in to clear the beaches. The cops gave up. They didn't want to know about it. So we That's did good. Great. And we sold out Budokan almost every Japanese tour, one night, two night, three night. And uh, Thailand, Indonesia. I still get more email from Indonesia than any place in the world. That's and uh, just all over Europe. We did great. There, at one point, there was like four or five Mr. Big Copy bands in Italy. <laughs> they were just, wow, they really? loved the band. So, so though we dropped off the radar, we were still doing great. I remember the statistic was in Japan when Pearl Jam's record came out, uh, Mr. Big outsold at 40 to 1 in Japan. That was the actual statistic. Because they didn't get the grunge thing. They didn't understand yeah. why people were mad and wearing torn up clothes. And it didn't make sense to them. So, but uh so it was. Uh, it can seem that way that that we disappear, but we were, we were there, and then we did actually at one point split up and go our separate ways, and we re reconvened uh, in two thousand and nine, and had just another great great run uh, across Europe, South America, Southeast Asia, a little bit in America, but not as much as softer for us here. I, we admit, but but we we did we did great. We're we're very pleased with it. Yeah, it was one of those things that always bothered me. It was about. I, I have always been a huge fan of Mr. Big. And I always thought that um, as successful as to be with you and just take my heart were, do you think that that was kind of like uh, not a downfall, but did you get pigeonholed a little bit with the slower stuff? Like yeah. extreme. By our observation, it actually almost worked in our favor because we'd look really? out into the audience. We'd see uh, uh, 14 year old girls with braces, singing along with daddy brother, the, the heavy stuff right, and the right. kids with Slayer shirts singing to be with you. That's so awesome. <laughs> for once we were able to break that wall down and, uh, uh, it had, cause I, when I grew up, I'm, I'm older, but we, we didn't have that kind of, uh, 
line between genres. You could yeah. go and you could have a couple really different bands on the same bill and it was cool. We, nobody booed anybody or threw shit or anything like that. So that was cool. So it's unfortunately it's not that much like that anymore, but for in that particular instance, it kind of worked out and we, uh, we, we would laugh about it too. That, you know, the, you see the girls come with their mom and dad, you know, just taking them to see Mr. Big C to be with you. And they're out there, you know, we're, we're, we're playing the heavy stuff. So that was, it was actually pretty cool. So. Yeah. Uh, if you mentioned uh, extreme and that actually was one of the reasons why I mentioned that was because I remember being like 13 or 14 and extreme was opening up for ZZ top on a tour. And I had worked all that summer. That's a That's- weird tour. It was very weird, but like I, I saved all my money. I bought my mom a ticket because I couldn't, I needed a ride, you know, and uh, Extreme <laughs> opens up and they go, listen me, people, we all know that you're here to hear two songs. So we're going to play them first. And if you don't like it, you can get the <laughs> hell out. And they opened up with wholehearted and more than words. So the place went ballistic for the first two oh, songs. Great. Like, like you said, the 13, 14 year old girls that are really getting into those songs. And then they busted into like decadence dance and, you know, get the funk out all the heavier stuff. And the people were just like, what is, they had no idea what the music was. They were <laughs> we always do the reverse. We'd always save the hits for the last thing. So they yeah. had to sit through the whole show. <laughs> great. <laughs> really, did, did, was there like a falling out between you and Paul at some point uh, that led to the breakup of Mr. Big no. or everything's still kind of cool? Oh, no, not at all. No, Paul and I have been friends through it all. You know, he's a, we, you know, we had, we had a lot of common. He used to come see Talos play back in, uh, there was a club called Stage One in Pittsburgh. There's also one in Buffalo. Stage, stage One in, in Pittsburgh. And I remember this tall kid in the audience because the stage was very low. And this one kid was almost like my height when I was on the stage. And I and finally, you know, that guy's a guitar player. Oh, really? Cool. And he was just a young kid. And finally, he opened up for us one time. Hey, he sounded good. And I saw him out in L.A. And I knew of him. So that's why I chose him for Mr. Big. But we've been we've been dear friends for uh, forever. There's very few people that I'm, uh, you know, had, had a bad falling out with generally, even even in the it, like when a band breaks up and it gets a little heated within a couple of months, everybody's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a, I'm not like that. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Um, I read somewhere. No, no, this is good. This is good. One of my favorite bands of all time, Iron Maiden um, and Steve Harris referred to you as the perfect bass player. Did you ever hear that compliment? I've heard saying things of that nature because Steve is a supremely, he's not only an amazing bass player and wonderful guy, but he's been very generous to me. And I really appreciate some of the things he said. He is, he's a wonderful guy and I love Iron Maiden. So we did a photo shoot at the Rotosound. Rotosound makes strings. Steve uses them. I use them. John Entwistle, Jocko, Chris Squire. Getty, everybody uses roles. This is the Mount Rushmore of bass players. Yeah. Listen, yeah. <laughs> well, except for me, I'm down in the, in the, oh, in the stone, in the stones stop. down there, in the sand. But You're the Eddie me. Van Halen of bass players. You're on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> but we, uh, it was me, John Entwistle, and Steve Harris at for a photo shoot at Rotosound. And I remember we, we had it right. And me and Steve are going like, hey, it's, okay, let's go talk with John. You know, we're so cool. But yeah, he's he's a he's a wonderful guy, and I love. Oh, l- listen to those three names for bass players. What's the matter? Was Bobby Dahl from Poison busy that day? And they had a fast one. You slackers to fill in for him. Jesus Bobby, Christ! Bobby's a good friend too. He's a good guy. He's a great yeah. bass player. I, I I bust balls about Poison, but they're a great band. And yeah, speaking I remember, of Poison, well, we were there in LA on the strip. Mm-hmm. I got there in 85, so 85, 86, 87. It was like Mardi Gras every night, and the streets were lined with, you know. 
girls and band guys and there was a band in every club but i remember the poison guys walked around with a i think with a boom box playing their song to sell tickets to their shows you know they, wow. they started so i give them a lot of credit because they uh you know they they worked hard to make it happen whether you love them or not i do whatever your feeling is about I the music them. I got to give them uh, uh, great credit because they they made it happen. Uh, well, you know, the reason I, I mentioned Poison was the lead in with your guitar player. Now, I mean, when when CC Deville left Poison and Richie Richie stepped into Poison, that band shifted tremendously. <laughs> you know, and they went from that real party kind of attitude and native tongue f- from Poison, as I think their their best record from top to bottom. And it never got the it never got the respect that it really deserved. But how did you link up with Richie to start the winery? I think he was a Demarcio guy early on, so I knew him. Demarcio pickups. He started to endorse them, and I was been an uh, endorser since since I was in Buffalo a long, long time ago. So we knew each other from then, and he had moved out to L.A. So he came around my house a couple times, and I heard him play piano and sang. That wow, this guy's amazing, and then. Uh, we just, uh, you know, we're, we're friends. We jammed together and hung out and stuff. And then when Paul left uh, Mr. Big, we, Richie was the perfect guy. He could sing amazingly and uh, play great. And, uh, but we love Richie and I loved him in the band, but it's not the same band anymore. It's the same thing with, with David Lee Roth leaving Van Halen. It's just not right. the same. So as much as we loved him, our hearts were, weren't really as in it as they were before. So we eventually ended up ending. And then I, Pat, but God rest his soul, uh, Mr. Big Drummer and I, we jammed together with Richie a lot after that. We were going to do something, but schedules didn't align. And then when uh, Mike Portnoy got in touch with me, wanted to do a band thing, and you know, you know, a guitar player who sings, and I, and I don't know why I didn't think of Richie, because, you know, and I had probably just seen him the week earlier. I go, hmm, I wonder who. And then sure enough, uh, Eddie Trunk goes, Richie Kotzen. Ah, of course. So we, we got Richie Kotzen, and the first day we, first day or two, we laid down the basis of a lot of that first Winery Dogs record. And that's one of my favorite records I've ever played on. Is it that, is it that quick or that easy where someone will give you a phone call and a band just kind of comes together that way? It can be. It can be. And usually when it does it that way, it's very organic and natural and things fall in place and you're doing the right thing. If there's a lot of shenanigans and I'm not sure and contract stuff and this is probably not going to happen. And if it does, it's probably going to fall apart. So this just we sat down. There's a drum kit there in Richie's studio. Mike Portnoy said it. I had a, one of Richie's bass off his off his studio wall, and we just started playing. And oh, let, hold on, let me go in and start the recording. Okay, take it again. And then we. What do you we, start playing when you just guys get into? The, is, are you playing a cover song? You just kind of like free form uh, jamming? Like what? Just what do you free form organic? We we didn't do a lot of cover songs in the uh, uh, Wonder Dog, so people know us a lot from. Uh, around and fell in love that was one of the only ones we've done Ooh, but once in a while we've done a couple uh but uh so we just went in and we you know and richie's a prolific writer mike is a great writer as well i write a lot so we just started pumping it out and uh, in no time we had that record and it was it blew all of our minds the kind of success it oh. had right off the right out of the bat i'll we, never forget hearing uh, elevate the first time yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know the name of the band. I heard it, and the first thing I thought was, "Wow, this new Chris Cornell song is fantastic." Because <laughs> <laughs> he sounds so much like him. I mean, come on, you can't you can't deny that he sounds just like Chris Cornell. But 
And I heard it. I'm like, wow, this has got to be something. And I looked it up and I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I, first of all, it's a three piece. Number one, it's three of my favorite musicians all in one. I'll never forget the time I met Mike Portnoy. They oh, were, my. they were dream theater was doing uh falling into infinity. They were recording it in uh, the studio that I had my studio in. And now Mike's not a very tall guy, right? No, his calves are this big. He has the biggest. Oh my God. I've never seen a man who's like five foot five with like 32 inch circumference calves in my entire life. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Oh my God. They're ridiculous. But yeah, man, that first winery dogs record to me, it's, it's one of the best rock records of the last fucking 10, 15 years by far. You're very kind. You're very kind. Yeah. I really, and the success it had, I remember we played in Paris it's their first tour, first record, first everything. And there's no MTV to really pump in like these or radio. So it's word of mouth. And we, we played a show in Paris. It was so crowded. All I could think of is, you know, the only way we could get another person in here is you could cut them up in pieces and shove them in because it was you couldn't fit another person in the place. And we just had an amazing run. I've got photos from uh, Barcelona, Spain, where the whole place is a, like a five-level uh, uh uh, auditorium and the whole place is just lined with like thousands, completely sold out thousands of people and the big winery dogs uh, logo there is like what the heck so it really we were really thankful uh it went it went over very well when are we getting a new album asap is it recorded Unfortunately, now travel restrictions and the covid nonsense and all that but i speak with richie often and michael be in there too so the first chance we get to get together in a room and we purposely, after the second record, everybody expected, you know, first record, tour, second record, tour, third record. Uh, hold on a second. Every time that happens, bands hit a wall because, in my humble opinion, a lot of great, a lot of bands, their first record is great and their second record isn't. Why is that? Because they spent their whole life recording, touring, playing, and then that first record is a culmination of everything they've done. Now they got six months to do the next one. So yeah. it's just not enough time. So we locked out on the second uh, record with the Winery Dogs, Hot Streak, I believe, and it was very well received. We did great, great record. Better, better sales even. And uh, But we thought, you know, instead of just getting into this cycle, let's do our thing and then reconvene like we did before the first record, where we all been off doing our thing, uh, we all got different stories to tell, get together in a room and start writing like that again. So that's kind of the idea. Have you been doing a lot of writing during COVID? Cause I'm expecting a, like a lot of great albums to be coming out because this was a time to sit down and write. Yeah. Uh, well, we were just mixing a brand new Talos record. So, uh, that's pretty cool. Talos is my band at Buffalo. We yeah, was, first band, right? several versions. The version that it was when I left to join David Lee Roth, we refer to it as version two. I think it's actually version eight or nine, <laughs> <laughs> in fact. And uh, so we got those guys again, and we, we did a record of all the songs we did in 85. Uh, we thought, well, we should, we should update them and like make the lyrics. And then no, 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 let, let's do it, even though it might be a little goofy and dated. Let's do it like we did it then. And we did. And it, uh, we're all so pleased with it. So That's I think uh, people are going to enjoy the record. A little time machine back to uh, 1985. And I think it's, people will enjoy it. You, you've you played, listen, you've, you've been in, we, we even failed to mention, you, you, you played in UFO, which is also one of the all-time great, great, great bands. Um, 
how did that come about? Were you were you good friends with uh, with Michael Shanko, or did you kind of tour with them and things kind of like jive? How did, how did the, uh, the UFO connection come about? Well, we were lucky in Buffalo that we were the big band, so by default, the local Buffalo promoters became our managers, and that was Harvey and Corky Productions. And so they, when a band would come through town that needed more ticket sales, whatever, they put us on the bill to help boost it. And then the band would see us and maybe make friends or, or not, who knows. So UFO came through. They were supposed to come through with ACDC, but UFO couldn't get over the border. So now they finally did. They're doing a show in Buffalo. Talis opens up. They like the band. They, they uh, remembered me, apparently. And then uh, in 1979... Michael Schenker called me to come work on his first solo record. I didn't end up recording it because Michael fell uh, uh, on some hard times there. So 83 comes around and I got asked to join uh, UFO. And Pete Ray, I think, left the band? Yeah. So I did a European tour of them. And funny, today I got an email from a guy named Chris Robinson, who was the uh, my tech on that tour. <laughs> and I haven't heard from him huh. probably since uh, 1983. And he's just reminiscing about all the shenanigans that went on with UFO. When I got home from UFO, the movie Spinal Tap came out. So we went to the movies <laughs> to see it. And I'm sitting there going, is this supposed to be funny? <laughs> because I just lived exactly that. So I was kind of, kind of pissed off about it. Later on, of course, it's hilarious. But it was uh, amazing guys, but they were on hard times. So, yeah, I did the UFO thing. And uh, what a great honor. I love that band. They're always one of my favorites. So you've you've played you've played and you've you've recorded with like really some of the best musicians who've ever lived. So uh, the question is, best or favorite guitar player, best favorite drummer you've played with? Well, guitar players cause too much trouble. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one. But and drummers, uh, I, I I can always default to one guy, Dennis Chambers. And Dennis Chambers, I play within a kind of a more fusion thing uh, called niacin, bass, drums, and B3, no vocals. And he's the, he's the grandmaster. And he was the favorite drummer of Mr. Big Drummer, Pat Torpy, who was also what a great, great, great player. But it's tough to pick because I have been very lucky to play with amazing people. Mike Portnoy is great. I did a session with Vinnie Caliuta, with uh, Kenny Aronoff, with... Uh, uh, Lots of guys <laughs> that I'm forgetting. And guitarists, too. Uh, uh, Steve, Paul, Tony McAlpine, uh, Steve Lukather, uh, a lot of guys. And uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm very honored. It's kind of cool. Once you get in a band and, uh, you know, you get some records out, you're kind of all in the same club. So a lot of times you'll, you'll you know, you won't even know each other. Say, hey, yeah, how's it going? And, and it'll end up being a, a thing where you end up playing together. It's kind of you have the common ground with everybody. So you see somebody might not even be from a band that's your genre or your thing. Hey, aren't you the guy from? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Really? Oh, cool. You know, so this is, it's, a, it's a wonderful community in that respect. So I've been lucky to play with some mind blowing players. And I, I, uh, always come away from it, uh, knowing more, uh, about music and playing. And do, you, do you still love music? I am, uh, 
as excited now as I, I'm probably more excited than I was when I was 16. I get up every day okay. and I sit here in my little studio and practice. I got all my bases up on a wall there. You can see them all uh, lined up. That's there's a, there's, a, there's a couple more walls <laughs> that are filled with it too. It gets out of control. Yeah, I'll, send you my, I'll send you my address. You can send me one. It's totally fine. <laughs> but I've never had all, when I lived in LA, it was when I finally got some success uh, and started accumulating instruments, but I could never have them home because there wasn't enough room. So now we're very grateful to have this beautiful home here in Nashville. And I got all the, all the basses and guitars up on the walls. And so it's nice to have them within arm's length all the time, but I'm excited about playing and learning new stuff. And, uh, I got a, a bunch of my basses out here now. And I spent about two or three hours yesterday, just working on a couple of little things. And it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And every day I discover some new thing. I had a kid a couple of years ago, sent an email to me and I played bass for six months and I'm bored. What should I do? And I just said, quit, quit, bro. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing it for over 50 years and I'll be on the drive at home and I go, Oh, I got to get home. I got an idea. You know, I can run to my base and try it out. You know, but I, I, I saw something cool about you. And this is why I asked that question. I saw you were teaching a master class. On on bases, that you know, I mean, th- yeah. a guy, a guy like you said, fifty years in the business, have played with some of the greatest musicians, yeah. been in some of the biggest bands. That is taking the time to teach people, you know, this instrument, dude. I I, I can't respect that more. Oh, that's very kind. Well, I do really enjoy helping musicians, my fellow musicians, not everybody really, but musicians especially because we're you know we're in a little camaraderie together. So. Some guys, you know, would I don't know if I'm good enough to do the message. No, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on. All levels welcome. And I find I learn a lot from beginners. And I see how they're launching and what they're going for and why. And in their mind, they don't know enough yet to really figure it all out. So they instinctively do this one thing. Why is that? And it's kind of really enlightening sometimes. So some guys that are great players sit down, will exchange some ideas on a different point of view. Uh, but I'm not a teacher and I don't give lessons, you know, because I, I don't have that discipline. I quit high school in my senior year because I, mm-hmm. I even asked my mom for permission because I just was just was not my thing. You should I, go back, Billy. This whole rock thing really hasn't fucking worked out for you. <laughs> Sorry, uh, my my uh, Kenmore East High School in Kenmore, New York. Yep. The uh, the principal is a bass player who knew me from back in the day, so he had me come in and get my honorary uh, thing. Oh, so that's I, awesome. I'm, I'm good now. So, <laughs> so here's a question I want to ask you. So, if there's one band that's out there now and just happens that their bass player breaks their arm and they can't play, <laughs> and you'd want to fill in for this band just for like a tour, who would it? be that's a good question who do i go out with well geez almost anybody i uh ghost? I, we we tour with like brian ghost? A- we, we tour with brian adams a bunch of mr bay great why well, he's so awesome and it sounds great i said and now he's playing bass and brian let's let me play bass and that's great that would be cool but is there a uh, new band that you like a new band that you would go out with probably i'm trying to uh, uh, it's I'm, I'm lost at the moment to recall something i'm sorry uh, rival sons pretty great pretty great i can see, I like I can see you you know jamming with rival yeah. sons i think it would be cool like some like super heavy band though so you know i, I would like to I, I got up and jam with like with uh with uh phil anselmo and uh guys from slayer and guys <laughs> from uh uh Exodus, 
Jeez, and we had a rest. Awesome. That was great. And uh, it was actually fun to play. So something like that would be cool. Something that's way out, you know, way something out. I got really up different. and uh, Zach Brown played in uh, Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena. It's sold out. Right. And his percussionist is a friend of mine. I said, well, come on down and we'll come on up and play a song. And I'm okay. So I got up and he introduced me and we played Whipping Post. And uh, Oh, wow. Uh, it was great. Uh, so completely different thing than what I'm into. But uh, it was sure. what, a, what an amazing uh, night. And he was, he was awesome, too. Was, How long are you in Nashville now? A little over three years. It's, a, it's probably like one of the most fun cities in the world. It really my is. my opinion. It really um, is. Did you move down there just because of like the income tax thing or just because of the great songwriting that's down there? Both, both. both. Uh, LA's falling apart, sadly. I love LA. And when I went there in LA, it was the biggest LA booster. Uh, so many people from Buffalo moved out to LA because I was there, you know, friends and associates and other musicians. But sadly, it's really uh, in, in a tough spot. And I'm touring a lot. My wife's home. You know, I, I was dangerous there, so I we, we had to get out. But it's Music City, and where where I'm at now, I don't really need to be in a city. I wouldn't like go out and play in LA. I'd go to LAX to fly to where a tour starts. So if you've been sure. to LA, LAX is a hellish, awful, no. terrible, dreadful thing. So now we're 12 minutes from the airport, and the airport is clean, open, and there's no big lines that I get on the flight. Got to make a connection, but I don't care. It's just it's so easy to get in and out of this city. So I fly to whatever, connect to New York, fly to Europe or fly to Asia or whatever. So I really only needed to be near an airport. So we uh, we did leave the uh, California situation, which, as I said, sadly, is uh, it, they're not doing well out there. And a lot of my friends called me to tell me which restaurants now have gone belly up, that they're never coming back. And it's a, it's terrible. It's dreadful. We've so, had so many uh past guests, you know, two that come to mind, uh, Katie Cole and Mitch Malloy, uh, also LA uh, now residing in uh, Nashville. You guys yeah. are building like a really great uh, music scene down there. Uh, it's music you- city. It really is. We got so many people here. I think Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick is here. Oh, wow. Uh, a guy I work with a lot here, uh, Ray Lugier, as a drummer I left out, who's one of my favorite people and drummers too. Me and Ray, uh, we, we have a production company together. We play on a lot of records and do recording for people and stuff like that. So he's here. Uh, just a bunch of guys, uh, a lot of bands. A lot of guys are coming to a lot of people uh, that I've heard are, are making Jack a move here. Yeah, yeah, I think he's here. Yeah. He's here. He has, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you know this. Jack White from the White Stripes has a record store down in Nashville called Third Man Records and has one of those old fashioned, uh, it looks like a, t- a telephone booth. And uh-huh. I think you pay like 20 or 25 bucks and you can bring your guitar in there and record direct to vinyl inside. Oh, this wow. Yeah. Oh, really, wow. really cool. I oh, want to cool. ask you a business question. Yes, sir. And this is something that I, you know, I'm, I'm not a super huge fan of this one artist, but I do respect her a lot. Taylor Swift. Okay. And I don't know if Jeff, if you know what happened with her, that Scooter Braun, her old manager bought her catalog for like $300 million. Right. So she has basically no well, words. That everyone's selling that catalog these days. I saw Dylan sold it for three hundred million dollars. And uh, I think Neil Young also just sold this catalog. But yeah. she kind of got it stolen away from her. So her response oh, yeah. to that was to re-record every album that she ever did on her own because she has the financial resources to do that. And she's doing it strictly to diminish the value of her old catalog. Yes. 
What would you, what would you like me to say? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, do you, do you think that's a great, is that like a really big, like, fuck you to the music business? Or is that an artistic, brilliant move that she's doing? Well, or is it I, both? I know uh, when I get a, uh, when I listen to a song as a fan on a record, I can hear it again with the most microscopic change. Go, wait, that's, that wasn't in there. That's not the song. I remember it was a, a flip side of my first single I ever bought, Eight Miles High by the Birds. Flip side was a song called Why. So I got all the Birds' greatest hits. Oh, Why is on the go? It's not the same. That's not it. And I looked and tried and I got all these Birds compilations. Finally, they came up with a box set. And deep in it was Why, the, the, the radio version. And that was the version. Finally, this is exactly the one that I remember. And I loved it. So as a fan, I'm sure I'm not alone. The littlest, tiniest change. And Frank Zappa did that, too, on a lot of his early records. He went and remixed them. So I thought, oh, I haven't heard this for so long. I put it on, I go, wait, what, what's the sax solo doing here? It wasn't there before, mm -hmm. you know? And it really threw me. So I don't know if it's a real good idea to mess around with what millions of people have fallen in love with. You know, it's like, uh, you know, your girlfriend goes in and gets a nose. You're a, you know, you are, you're a purist. Yeah. I want to hear a lot of people are. They don't want to hear the uh, another version of it. But I, I can't I can't say anything on anyone else's business because I don't know. But I do know that no matter what happens with anything later, at some point you sign something. At some point, you uh, you did something that allowed that door to open for somebody yeah. to come in and do that because you can't without your signature on something. You sign something away. So unfortunately. Maybe you got bad advice from a, a lawyer that didn't know. Maybe your parents were looking out for you and they didn't know. So it's uh, it, it's tough. You got to watch out in the business uh, what you're signing and what it means. We all do in in any business. Absolutely. You know, uh, in any in any transaction, you got to read it and you got to know about it. And if you don't hire somebody, you know, hire somebody. And then, and a lot of times people get, well, you can use my lawyer because no, 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 it's a conflict of interest. I can't use your lawyer. I got to find my own lawyer. And uh, and uh, you and a proper manager or whatever would welcome you to bring in an outside manager. California is pretty tough. If you don't get a lawyer and you sign something, it's they can null the contract. You got to have legal representation, and there can't be a conflict of interest in that. It's very wise. I'm not sure if that's the case here, but or if it is anymore. It's been a while since I got involved in things of this nature, but you know, it's a probably a pretty boring thing too. <laughs> it's it's amazing how fast this hour has gone. Um, Wick, what do you have planned for before we wrap it up? What do you have planned for the summer? Uh, what, what what's going on? You guys, you're, you got any tours happening? What's what's going on with you? When, well, we're waiting to hear, but I, I'm afraid, I hope it's not, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong that there may not be shows until 2022, which sucks. It was awful. It's, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm not a rich man, but I, I'm okay. I, we got money in the bank. We're okay. Our bills are paid. We don't owe any debt. We're good. Uh, but crew guys, Lighting companies, right. sound companies, touring companies, bus drivers, catering, venue personnel, security. It's tough. How it's, are they making a living? I know. So uh, this has been horrible on everybody. My personal opinion, I usually leave out because it's controversial, but I don't, I, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. I remember when it first hit, I looked up CDC website, 
What was the death toll for the seasonal flu prior to COVID? It was 79,400 people, 80,000 people died of the seasonal flu. Nobody said anything about it. No Mac, there was no masks or panic or freak out. So now admittedly, yeah, it's, pro- it's a flu. It's probably a very severe one. Just look at the numbers and the CDC has already been caught with their pants down a couple of times, pumping up the numbers uh, on how many people have died. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you want to? make it look worse than it is. So, uh, but I, but I play by the rules. I got the mask, social distance. I'm, I'm, I'm don't want to put anybody in jeopardy. And so we're playing by the rules. We're being cool. I don't want to violate anyone else's sensibilities about it, but I'm, I agree with you 100%. I want to, I want to, I want to do this real quick. I want to put you on the spot and I want you to think, I want the first thing that comes off your head. Uh-oh. Favorite <laughs> songs to play live for every band that you've been in. And we're going to do it real quick. Talis. Sings the teeth into that. Daily Roth. Uh, going Crazy. Mr. Oh, Big. Great song. Mr. Big would be uh, Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy. Yes. That's what I wanted to hear. Winery <laughs> Dogs. Uh, I'm No Angel. Oh, God damn you. Ooh. I love that song. Sons of Apollo. Uh, I'm Coming Home. That's how we end the show, Jeffrey. <laughs> Lucian, thank you so much, man. This is really, this. I was super excited for this show. Well, Sean was texting me, nice. making fun of me because I was a little nervous and stuttering. <laughs> uh, listen, I grew up with you. I, I remember going to the gym and listening to that record. You've been okay. one of like, you know, the guys I put on that pedestal. So uh, well, you're very kind. Thank you so much for joining well, you know, us. Well, really guys like it. you uh, buying tickets and uh, T-shirts and records, uh, I, I wouldn't be here. I always I always tell people everything I have comes from somebody buying a T-shirt, a ticket or a record. And I don't forget that. And I appreciate it very much. So uh, I'm glad you were there and glad you uh, enjoyed it. That's, that's when, sure. when touring comes around again, when you play New Jersey, when you play Starland Ballroom, I am three minutes away from Starland Ballroom. If you yeah. want to come over, I will give you a bass lesson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm wondering what those, uh, the low, there's a, it's a letter or something. It's G or B, oh, E. I think it's an E string. It's, it's an E string, yeah. I always confused Start that. Start learning, Billy. You got a long <laughs> way to go. It's about time I get uh, start hitting that thing, I guess. <laughs> Thank oh, you so much for being on the show, Billy. I really thank appreciate you for it. having me. And uh, send me a link, and I'll post it to my social media so you get more hits and people can enjoy our, our interview today. You're Absolutely, good, you're a good man, Billy Sheen. Thanks, one and all. Good man. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care, right. everybody. See ya. 